edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have plenty to do this morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are still uh, in the midst of COP27. Not quite sure what they're up to today. There's a lot of people making speeches, a lot of food being eaten, a lot of drink being taken, a lot of private jets flying in, uh, flying out, all sorts of entourages being paid for uh, by the public purse, not just our public purse, but the public purse of every nation in the world that's actually going to it. Uh, so far, so bad, I'd have to say, because Rishi Sunak has apparently pledged a lot of our money uh, to a lot of other countries because apparently we're guilty uh, of using too much fossil fuel and we're guilty of polluting the earth even though we did it 300 years ago uh, and they say now that most of the uh, damage that's being done to the planet is actually from recent emissions in the past five to ten years so i'm not quite sure given that ours are going down why we owe anybody anything maybe they should be paying us We'll come up with a plan, don't worry. 0344 499 1000. We're still going to talk about the nurses' strike. I had a very heartfelt email from somebody yesterday uh, who was listening to the show and who discovered um, that their transplant, uh, which they are waiting for, uh, this is an individual who's actually got cancer, uh, waiting for a transplant, wants to know whether, if the nurses do go on strike, whether the the transplant operation will be cancelled and whether it might never happen which is a terrible state of affairs for anybody to be in. Also, we're going to be talking about a couple of councils who are in the High Court today. They're taking the government to court to say, we don't want any more asylum seekers blocking any more hotels in our area. We don't think it's fair. We don't think it's right. We'll be telling you stories of a couple who have had their wedding cancelled by a local uh, hotel in Wales because they say they can't do the wedding there anymore because the place is full of asylum seekers. This problem is not going away, ladies and gentlemen. And if anything, uh, any deal between Macron uh, and uh, Mr. Rishi Sunak over in uh, Sharm El Sheikh will dwindle into insignificance because the deal won't include, presumably, all the people who are here already. We want to hear from you, 0344 499 1000. Frank Ferradi's up first. He's going to talk to us about a great many things, including freedom of speech, including uh, plans to decolonise mathematics, and also including the whole Elon Musk scenario, because, of course, um, people are getting their knickers in a right old twist about Elon Musk. They don't know what he's going to do. They don't know when he's going to do it. Is he going to start charging people to use Twitter? Uh, is he going to get rid of loads of people because he doesn't like them? Uh, is he going to get rid of loads of people just because he wants to do it for a bit of fun? Who knows? 0344 499 1000. Laura Dodsworth is here as well she's going to be talking about the return of sage they're back that's right the people who want to nudge us into doing one thing rather than another uh, yep uh, they now want to talk to us about climate change marvelous isn't it 0344 499 1000 lots more going on we've got the daily biden of course as well we'll be talking to donald mcleod up in scotland to find out what's going on with him and much else besides we might even take a little trip into the jungle to see where Matt Hancock is. Has anybody seen him? Uh, he's got trench foot. He should be easy enough to find. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You're listening to the Home of Common Sense. It is, of course, the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. And let us, without further ado, uh, go to our good friend, Mr. Frank Ferradi, commentator, professor of sociology, of course, as well. Frank, a very good morning to you. Um, morning, I, haven't, I haven't seen you since we did that rather fabulous Battle of Ideas session, which uh, went down very well. Lots of people really enjoyed it, where we got stuck into quite a few interesting yeah. societal mores and uh, wherefores and whether or not we should be more free, less free. 
Um, let's kick off, first of all, with, with the big story of the week, which I guess is COP27. I'm not quite sure why these people that we call our leaders think that they can just offer our money to any number of different countries around the world for something that we apparently should be feeling guilty for uh, that happened in the uh, sort of late 17th century and early 18th century. I think they probably imagine that we have a lot of spare cash, that we're so well off that uh, we covered everything. You know, the NHS is in good nick. Yeah. Education and schools are doing all right. Uh, people's quality of life has really improved. And then they uh, have this fantasy, well, we've got a bit of money. Uh, why don't we just simply you know, give it to people? Just give who, it away. Just give it away. And I think that... Uh, this is, in the end, it's not going to happen. I think the situation, the economic situation, is so dire that we can barely make ends meet here in, this, in our own country. So it seems to me that what everybody is doing in Egypt is kind of a kind of competitive uh, sort of claim making. Everybody's making claims about how good they are, all the brilliant things they're going to do. And uh, it's like a, like a mini Olympics for uh, entitled politicians who want to appear very generous and very concerned uh, about a problem that they imagine is going to end our way of life. And what I really find interesting about this circus in Egypt is that everybody's talking about existential threat, the end of the world. Mm. It really does sound like uh, a totally alarmist sort of uh, play where the script is really about who can outdo the other person. And when you look at the, uh, the attention they pay to the smallest details, like who's going to stand where, in the official photograph, uh, you can begin to understand that this is very much a public relations exercise. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. And, of course, they're all getting in and out of huge uh, 4x4s, Land Rovers, you know, Cadillac Escalades, and no doubt Joe Biden will turn up with his 35-man, 35-vehicle motorcade. They're all flying in on, if they're not private jets, they're jets of one kind or another. Uh, They're all eating uh, medallions of beef at 100 quid a throw, telling us that we should be eating more plant-based food and we shouldn't be flying anywhere. I mean, it wouldn't be, if it wasn't so serious and expensive, it would be laughable. Well, in the uh, 18th century, uh, I think it was Marie Antoinette who said, let them eat cake. He told that to the poor in France uh, because she was very much uh, into the idea of talking to her cake and her good food. Yes. I think these, uh, these kind of elites live in a fantasy world where they just imagine that they can do whatever they feel like, that there's a different law that applies to them, different standards of life. And so while they're having a, an interesting time in, in Egypt and having a good time, you and I and everybody else have got to stop flying or we've got to stop eating meat. Uh, we've got to get rid of the cows because apparently they're the biggest threat to human civilization. Right. And that, I think that we just have to judge them in accordance with the same rules that we apply to everybody. Well, this is the thing as well. And, and as we are told that we don't have much money and we are going to have to make ends meet and we're going to have to tighten our belts and, you know, all of that nonsense. And, we you know, that we've got tough times ahead. They keep assuring us, you know, as we await the 17th of November uh, budget statement. And yet they're wasting money hand over fist. You know, let's not even mention the, the amount of money being paid to house the migrants, you know, which is somewhere in the region of seven to eight million pounds a day now. Um, it's incredible how much money they actually waste. It is, and, I, and I've come to the conclusion that all this net zero stuff, all this talk about sustainability, uh, all this stuff about uh, sort of cutting down on, on, our, uh, on our footprint is really an attempt to make us uh, almost, like, uh, almost like to kind of get us to 
uh, adopt a lifestyle which is much more modest than we're used to in order to uh, in order to create a situation where we can put up with the costs in living standards and somehow as our living standards become reduced they can say well don't worry about it it's good for the environment it's really good that families can go on holidays they can't travel anymore it's really good that you're not going out to restaurants as much as you used to so there's a kind of strange synergy between uh, the whole net zero uh, ideology and then the reality of economic cuts and reductions in living standards. Yeah. And is it any wonder then that you get the sort of hysteria that we saw yesterday from these just stop oil maniacs uh, climbing up on gantries on the M25 and fake screaming and crying that the earth is dying. And if we don't do something soon, you know, they're all going to throw, you know, throw themselves under lorries. I mean, they're really becoming quite a disturbing cult, these people, aren't they? I noticed as well. uh, I don't know whether it is. I haven't been able to check it out yet. But they finally somebody has finally registered Just Stop Oil Limited as a company because up until now, they've just been this kind of woolly organization. Yeah, I think there is a, a kind of hysteria foot, which uh, is uh, promoted widely and which is supported by sections of the media. Mm. When they say somebody putting on a histrionic performance as they're preventing people from getting on with their lives, the, the hysteria that they're kind of you know, sort of performing is applauded and say, aren't they really brave? These mm. are really special people because unlike you and I, or very pedestrian, or just want to get on with our lives, they're quite prepared to make all these big sacrifices. They're putting themselves on the line, and we're creating these uh, false heroes and heroines, you know, who are really basically empty-headed young children, you know, who ought to be able to get on with life, maybe even get a job one day. Yes. Well, the then some, I mean, they're described as children, but that, the woman who was doing it yesterday is not a child. She's 24 years of age. She's a Cambridge graduate. Her father drives a Mercedes GLC 4x4, you know, rocket-fueled diesel car. She drives a, uh, a Fiat Panda. She's a wannabe singer. You know, she couldn't care less about the climate, except somebody's paying her, and this is where I find it's insidious, somebody's paying her and all of these bozos uh, to actually do what they're doing. Well, in, in fact, she may be biologically mature, 24-year-old, but she is a child because in all but name, she's kind of infantilized herself. Mm. Almost like these kids, uh, these, these young men and women have regressed into early adolescence. And, you know, just as I don't know if, uh, if you ever had the experience with your, with, your, if your, with your kids or other kids who then put on this histrionic show and throw the toys out of the pram yeah. and start yelling and, and crying. This is what they're doing. It is the adult version mm. of what they're doing. Well, in it's reality. the equivalent of, of lying down in the supermarket aisle and having a tantrum, isn't it? Exactly. You know, mm. it's, it's what they expect of 40-year-olds, not 24-year-olds. Yeah, exactly right. And the thing that really troubles me, and I don't know if you saw this piece of video yesterday, Roger Hallam, who was so um, extreme, they kicked him out of Extinction Rebellion, and he's now sort of the guy behind Just Stop Oil. He actually gave an interview yesterday where he was describing what would happen when society started breaking down. And it's the most unbelievable rant. It's David Qureshi-like, you know, the guy who led all those people to their deaths in uh, in Waco in Texas. I mean, that's how bad it is now. And he's talking about people coming into your house, taking your wife, your girlfriend, your sister, your mother, raping them, you know, assaulting them. You're kind of going, what? Where is this all coming from? The guy's literally lost his marbles. Yes, and, and, and the tragedy is it's not the individual guys because they're just a few individuals here and there. The really big problem is they feel that they're entitled to do this because they're, they're, they're getting so much support from uh, our, our cultural establishment. Yeah. They get so much support from sections of the media who are, in effect, curating their whole behavior 
So they feel that, okay, um, we're just a few handful of people out on the streets, but behind us are these vast, very large corporations, very large uh, mm. cultural institutions who basically say good on you. And that's where the real danger lies, because they create the terrain on which this stupidity can actually flourish. Yes, and they do put a lot of money into it. I mean, there's this wacky woman, isn't there, in California, uh, who's a, a descendant of the Getty oil uh, family, uh, who has given something like a million quid to Just Stop Oil uh, and runs some kind of climate defence charity uh, because she's loaded and she's crazy, you know. And it's and, a and very dangerous combination. Think, yeah, and sometimes I think that some of these entitled rich people uh, you know, are... A little bit, a little bit silly, and, and and have gone soft in the head. Sometimes mm. when you meet people who present themselves, I'm very posh, I'm very, I'm, I'm Lord this or I'm, I own this kind of company. You think that they're very formidable people, mm. have you know really sussed about the way the world works. But when you actually meet them, you get the impression that they never stepped outdoors and they never mixed with normal human beings. No, and they've taken way so, too many drugs and their minds exactly, are gone to mush. Exactly, and they're so one-sided that it's so limited. They're definitely not the kind of people you want to go out for a drink on a Friday night. Definitely not. Absolutely. They end up being glued to something. Uh, Frank, stay where you are. We've got lots to talk about, including Elon Musk, the whole freedom of speech arguments being made about Twitter and much else besides. We've got loads of people to talk to as well, so do keep your calls coming in. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Rishi Sunak still stuck out in Egypt in Sharm El Sheikh. I don't know how long he's there for. I presume he'll be back for Prime Minister's questions tomorrow. Uh, Alan says this. I've said this before. Arrest these oil protesters, charge them and then remand them in custody for two months over Christmas. If they do it again next year, do the same thing over summer. I think that's a great idea. I think there's no doubt in our minds. But they've arrested something like 700 of these people over the last few weeks because they've been demonstrating pretty much all the way through October. Now we're into November. Uh, They're back on the M25 today. We're going to talk to somebody who's actually sitting in the traffic jam down there a little bit later on in the show. But right now we're talking to Frank Parady. And Frank, I guess we should talk about the other big story that's kind of dominating an awful lot of the newspapers uh, in uh, recent days, and that is Elon Musk and what he's doing with Twitter. I'm, I'm finding it quite fascinating to watch all the various kind of shenanigans that are going on, both from him and from people who are actually on Twitter and from the people that are being fired or rehired or whatever's going on. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is uh, just the simple fact that Elon Musk once said that he's a free speech absolutist. Right. The very fact that he said he really believes in free speech was sufficient to provoke uh, a a hysterical reaction on the part of uh, American social justice warriors. Even President Biden attacked uh, uh, Elon Musk for taking Twitter over. Hmm. Uh, And the reason for that is because in their eyes, Free speech is synonymous with what they call hate speech. They seem to believe that if you and I and other people are able to speak freely and, and people can have their voice, that somehow that represents a threat to them. And at first, I couldn't understand how you, do it, how you explain this hysteria. Why did they react in such a, a violent way? Because Musk hasn't really done anything. He, he said that he might open things up, that he might let old President Trump back onto Twitter, but he hasn't done anything really. Mm. And then you realize that what they are really worried about is the fact that you know they want to retain their monopoly of being gatekeepers on social media platforms. They want to be able to control who can say what, what can and cannot be said. And the mere possibility 
that their monopoly over gatekeeping the social media uh, can be undermined has led to a, a furious reaction where it's led to a boycott of big corporations. Uh, a lot of woke corporations in America, and most big companies in America, are really uh, social justice warriors wearing suits and, uh, and ties. But they think in a very similar kind of a way. They started withdrawing their adverts from Twitter. Yeah. Basically, they're muscling in and telling Musk that either you retain the status quo and nothing changes, either you promise us that people's speech will still be regulated and censored, or else we're going to bankrupt Twitter. I mean, that's basically the threat. So it's a very interesting story, yeah. what's happening. And I, I fear that it's only a matter of time before Musk will back down and somehow forget about the fact that he's meant to be a free speech absolutist and give way to this uh, incredible pressure. The thing is about, um, I suppose, Twitter is that people consider it to be a left-wing sort of uh, social media construct, don't they? Um, and so because they think that's what it is, they think they have to protect it. But actually, it isn't anything of the kind. You know, so depending on who you are and what your perspective is, you see Twitter as a reflection of whatever you are because you think that that's what you see. And I think it's amazing that people have taken to this ridiculous notion that, you know, um, if they boycott it and they don't give them any money, they'll go out of business. I mean, presumably Elon Musk could keep it going forever if it didn't make any money, if he wanted to. Possibly he could. Uh, I think I think what's interesting about Twitter is although, as you say, it's not left-wing or right-wing, it's, it's basically a public sphere. Yeah. A lot of people who have challenged the prevailing wisdom on things like transgenderism, on 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 Black Lives Matter, on, on many of the fashionable issues of the uh, Twitterati, when they challenge them, they've been uh, they've been censored, they've been banned from Twitter for a short period of time. So there is a kind of uh, language police that's operating on Twitter mm. that tends to be uh, fairly insidious in the way that they operate. So to that extent, there is there is a, a, a manifest lack of, of free speech on it, but nevertheless. Uh, it is still relatively open. You know, you can be on it. I can be on it. We can express our views. But nevertheless, if we uh, push our views too strongly, there's a risk that they're going to come back and shut us down. Mm. There is that, isn't there? And that is the strange part about all of these social media companies. You know, Facebook's the same. Uh, I dare say people have had their accounts frozen on Instagram as well. Um, but, I mean, he has promised to try and do away with all the bots, which if he does do, I think will be will be a good thing. But it is basically what you make of it, Twitter, isn't it? I, I think you're right. I think it's very important not to be uh, too passive or too pessimistic. A lot of people I know have given up on Twitter and they say, look at them, they're in control. Well, actually... At the end of the day, we have you know there's a lot of people who think uh, the way we do, you know people who really b- believe and cherish freedom. A lot yeah. of people who are angry at the attempts to limit uh, democratic uh, decision making in our society, and all we got to do is just get on these social media platforms and make our voices heard mm. and, and push and push back and push back. And this is something that's got to be done a, little, a bit more systematically if you're going to improve the kind of cultural climate that we live under. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. Um, we were talking yesterday on the talk about Winston Churchill, this uh, study that's found that uh, very few people now think of Winston Churchill as a national hero, uh, which is all to me down to the fact that in schools now, kids are taught that Churchill wasn't a hero. And instead of being taught that he saved Britain during the Second World War, they're being taught that, you know, actually uh, he had some really, really bad parts of his character and he had some done some really, really awful things so that people's vision and view 
of him has been changed over time, which tells you all you need to know about the education system in this country. It is, and uh, history teaching in particular has become a little bit insidious. The kind of history that children learn in school is the kind of history that makes you shamed about Britain's past. And when you look, look at the curriculum in terms of what's being taught, people learn that almost everything that happened in the early 20th century, the 19th, 18th century, is something we should regret, we should apologize for, we should be ashamed about. And Winston Churchill in particular has become a key target because, for better or worse, he is the icon that symbolizes Britishness. Mm. He's a person that stood up to the Germans in the Second World War. He's a person that, you know, classically is seen as, as Britain's uh, most important figure in the 20th century. And if you can, if you can somehow uh, destroy his reputation, contaminate you know, his persona in the way that's being done, that's a major win for people who want us to become uh, ashamed of being British, who yeah. want us to feel that somehow that we shouldn't be patriotic, we shouldn't fly the flag, we should just say sorry to the world right. every single day. And just pay compensation for everything, even if it wasn't my fault or your fault or anybody else's fault. But, you know, you must at least take some blame for it. Absolutely. So the two big words in their vocabulary is, number one, apologise, yeah. or apologise for our existence, and number two is pay compensation. Yeah, it's a racket. It's a pretty good racket, actually. There's a lot of people making a lot of money out of it. Frank, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Frank Ferrady, commentator and sociologist there, uh, talking a lot of sense about freedom, about the way that the world is going, and about the nonsense that is COP27. What on earth is it for? What on earth are they doing today? And what will they do tomorrow? And if it goes on for two weeks, how much will it cost? Can anybody tell me? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. If these protesters are arrested and get a criminal conviction, do they realise it could then affect their car or their house insurance premiums? You need to disclose any criminal convictions on your household and car insurance, says Wendy. Well, that's interesting. Uh, and if these youngsters in Stop o- Just Stop Oil are our future generation, then God help us all, says Tim. Uh, well, there's one who's from a slightly older generation who's clambered up a gantry today who doesn't appear to be any more uh, imbued with intelligence than the one from yesterday. Uh, it doesn't look like she's acting too much. She's a social worker, though. Uh, that's great, isn't it? Take the day off, darling. Don't worry. Up you go. Go up the gantry. Just sit there for a while. Stop all the traffic. That's a great way to spend the day. And then she starts talking about people's homes being burned to the ground. What is wrong with these people? Anyway, uh, we've now got to talk to somebody who was actually stuck on the M25 after Just Stop Oil brought it to a standstill today again for a second day in a row. Uh, It's Thomas Skinner, former apprentice and owner of Bosch Beds. He posted this on Twitter earlier. Good morning, you lovely people. Right, I'm on the M25 before the Dartford crossing and I am stationary because you know why? These activists are at it again and they've caused absolute carnage on the M25 and brought it to a standstill. Now, all I'm trying to do today, like thousands of other people, is go to work and do my deliveries and earn an honest living, yeah? Now, yesterday, we couldn't do our deliveries because of the the traffic. Today, I'm trying to play catch up and I'm still not gonna get them all done because of this absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense, I think, is about a good way to describe it as any that I've heard. Thomas Skinner uh, is with us now. Thomas, very good morning to you. How are you, mate? How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. Glad to see that you're uh, reaching out to the great British public there, because it must be terribly frustrating. I mean, it's your business that's being damaged here. You're trying to get your stuff delivered to people who want it. And these maniacs are just doing this 
I don't, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know why they're doing it still. I don't know how long they're going to keep doing it for, but it's ridiculous, isn't it? Mate, it's just killing me. Like yesterday, we, we had fourteen customers that I had to let down. I couldn't deliver to simply because I couldn't get vans to them because they were stuck on the M25. We couldn't get cars up the A12. We was, yeah. we was, we was gridlocked. Like, and then what? What then? What happens is they don't realise that it's affecting small businesses, it's affecting people just trying to go work and earn a living. Yeah. Now. I've had to refund people. I've had to pay wages. I've, yeah. had to, I've still got to pay the diesel. Now we've got to do it all again, which means we're going to be using up more diesel because we've got to go out again and do it all again. Right. It, it makes no sense what they're doing. They're mental. And how long were you stuck in it this morning and yesterday? Today, it took me two hours longer than what I needed to do. And yesterday, we had one driver. I was stuck in there for nearly five hours. It's just five rude, hours, isn't it? mate. Like, I've, still got, I've still got to pay the guys wages, you know, and they've not been able to do any deliveries. Like, no. It's... it's People don't get paid unless they go to work, and they're stopping. It's, it's, it's us that are suffering. It ain't the big old companies. Right. It's us, the general public that are going to work, that are getting that are getting it down here, and it's not fair. No, it really isn't. And every now, every now and again, you get somebody from some polling company saying, "Oh, yeah, but the thing is, people are generally sympathetic to the cause." Well, I don't think that's true. I'm not sympathetic to the cause. I don't think they should be blocking roads. I don't think they should be stopping you from going about your business. I think it's disgusting, and I think it's time the police started using different tactics, isn't it? Mate, 100%, the police have got to do something about it because people are going to get the ump and they're going to start doing something about it. And then good, good hard-working people are going to end up getting arrested for just trying to get on with their daily business. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right because this is never going to stop because they're clearly very good at it. Uh, the one thing you can say is that they know how to disrupt the traffic. They know how to get around the cops because only yesterday the cops were telling us, oh, yeah, we've managed to arrest a load of people well, before why? they how, did it. How do, how do they get to these places? They must jump in a bus or a car or a van to get they to do. where they're going. Well, they're not cycling to the M25, are they? Unless you, know you, saw, a load of, unless you got... saw a load of bikes there. Mate, they, 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 listen, they are, they are the worst sort of... And they've probably all got a right few quid. It doesn't affect them. Do you know what I mean? They've probably all got, all got pockets full of money. They don't care. They're all getting paid, by the way. You know, this is now, now an organisation that's got a lot of money. They've been given a million quid by some lunatic woman in America who's got more money than cents. And also, <laughs> I found this for you, just, to, just, to, just in case you're worried about the world ending anytime soon. A story yeah. from 1989, June 29th. The United Nations predicted disaster if global warming was not reversed by the year 2000. That's 22 years ago, and we're all still here. Look, I, I look all right. I feel all right, mate. I think we just got to get on with our <laughs> daily business, and, and they've got to go. They've got to get out of the way. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're going to have to start driving around in sort of, uh, you know, combine harvesters, so if they block the M25, you just go over the, just go over <laughs> the fields. Just stick a snowplow in the front of my van. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Well, listen, good luck with it, Thomas. Good luck, and thank you very much indeed for talking to us. He's the owner of Bosch yeah, Beds. He's just trying to do his business. He's trying to do his job. He's trying to make a money which will then be given to the government in taxes. These bozos are preventing it from happening. For heaven's sake. Let's talk to Mick in Bromley. Hi, Mick. Hello, Mike. How are you doing, sir? Oh, oh mate, I'm at my wit's end. <laughs> my blood pressure's going through the roof. I'm not surprised. Are you stuck in it? Uh, no, mate, no. I'm just, every time I hear it, my blood boils. It's everything, it's not just that, it's everything about this country now is a joke. Yeah. It's, it, if it was anything else, you'd pull the plug and sink it, you know, because it's just finished. Yeah. It's just these, these, I blame, I totally 100 police, uh, blame the police for their ineptitude. They yeah. are totally and utterly useless, yeah. a lot of them. Every well, they get, they're getting outsmarted. They're getting outsmarted every no, single time, aren't they? No, it's nothing to do with that, Mike. That's, I'm sick of hearing that, to be honest. They're not getting outsmarted. When they're up a gantry, you get up there and get them. 
or you shoot them with flipping paintball guns or just get them off there. Don't sit there for half a flipping day right. while these idiots are up there spouting nonsense. Right. I'll, no. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll climb up there with a bunch of zip ties and I'll zip tie them to the, ga- to the game tree and I'll leave them up there all night. Yeah. The whole lot of them. And then they and can't the fall down and hurt themselves, can exactly, they? Exactly, exactly. How comes when I go to France, I went to France a little while ago, mm. there was a Range Rover on its roof in the middle lane. They put four cones around it and there was people doing 70 miles an hour still down the motorway. Right. And yet we can't deal with a couple of idiots up a gantry. Yeah, but this is what we do now in this country. But this is what we do in this country. If there's a road accident in this country, they stop all the traffic. I see it quite a lot whenever I'm driving around. If you're on yesterday, yeah, this is why I'm renting because I had it yesterday. I came down the road. The police completely blocked the whole road off. It was absolutely complete and utter chaos. Indian, I got out of my car and I went over to him and I said, "What the hell are you doing?" Right. Because the whole road, they cleared it, but they were still stopping the traffic from moving. Amazing. It was a police woman. And I said, sir, have you got nothing better to do? You know, why well, you can arrest me if you want for right. moaning at you? Because I'm sick to death of it. And what did she say? And utterly inept. What did she they say? Going, oh, well, we're, no, no, we can't do anything. We have to see this, um, do the scene of an accident. I said, it's done. You've done it all. Why right. have you still got it? It's clear. You could fly over an helicopter, take one picture and it's done. Right. You know, exactly. it, it's just... I'm exactly. just sick of the police. Mick, listen, I feel your pain, man. I can feel it coming through this, the, the, the telephone wire. Mick and Bromley's had enough. He's up to his neck in it. He's fed up to the back teeth. It's like that movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas. David's in Lancashire. Hello, David. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. No, yeah. go on. What do you want to tell I'm me? Good. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, one thing, I listen to all these scientists banging on about this climate mm. change, and there's two factors that they keep repeating over and over again. One is it's man-made. Now, they have to say it's man-made because if it's not man-made, what can we do about it? Well, nothing. <laughs> right. And the other thing is, they say we're at the precipice. Yeah, right. Now, if we've passed the precipice... <laughs> we've been there for a long time. Well, I've got a thing from the from the United Nations. I said this a lot. This is the, 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 the panel on climate change, you know, the IPCC that they keep talking about. They were predicting uh, that the world would be coming to an end and that we'd all be underwater uh, by 20... Uh, by 20, 2001, 2000, and it didn't happen. They said Canary yeah. Wharf would be underwater up to the 23rd floor of the Canary Wharf Tower. Still not there. Do you know what I think it is, Mike? Go on. It's big business. They want, to, they want us to pay more for the same things we get now because of carbon, and they'll make massive profit. Yes. Well, I mean, there's certainly no shortage of money in Sharm El Sheikh, is there? They're spending plenty of money to be there. Listen, David, absolutely great call. Thank you very much indeed. Two fantastic calls there to kick us off this morning. Brian in Norfolk says this, under Section 136 of the Mental Health Act 1983 uh, would be reviewed for 72 hours uh, as to their mental health. I think that a lot of them would end up being sectioned. Uh, He's talking about these maniacs climbing up gantries, gluing themselves to roads. I mean, there's so many of them, right? They're like ants. And you have to deal with them like ants in some way, shape or form. The police need to up their game. The police need to be able to spot what's going on before it happens and stop it from happening. It's that simple. Otherwise, there is going to be some kind of driver's revolution in this country because it can't go on like this. Mick and Bromley's quite right. He's fed up to the back teeth. Something bad will happen if nothing is done about these people. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, I'm going to tell you about something quite extraordinary. The amount of money that councils have been paying out to people who are victims of pothole injuries, right? Incredible amounts of money. You won't believe it. I promise you. It's coming next on Talk TV. 
Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Here's a thought for you. Uh, It's come in from Bill in London. Let's put net zero into stark context. If the UK did not even actually exist, the global emissions would be cut by a mere 0.8% to 1% at most. Makes you think, doesn't it just? Imagine if we didn't exist. We wouldn't be really that much better off in the world. The climate wouldn't change that much, would it? Laura Dodsworth is here. We're going to be talking about climate. We're going to be talking about the weather. We're going to be talking about much else besides emotional guilt, cults, because that's what Just Stop Oil has become. There's no question in my mind that these people are being paid to be part of a ridiculously brainwashed organisation headed by a bloke called Roger Hallam, uh, who is, I think, probably clinically insane. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, We'll be telling you more as well about what's going on with these migrant hotels, people getting their weddings cancelled, people being told that they can't book any kind of holiday in any part of the the country that has migrants housed in hotels because there simply isn't any room for them. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. We'll bring you what's happening in Sharm El Sheikh as well. Well, they're eating very well, by the way. We saw a menu yesterday uh, which included some very expensive steak, some very expensive fish, and also some very expensive wines. So they're all dining high on the hog while we're supposed to be living with sackcloth and ashes, going nowhere, private jets for them, absolutely nothing like a bus run on hydrogen for us. Laura, very good morning to you. (laughs) Good morning. We know our place, don't we? Absolutely no good things for us, all good things for them, uh, and we should just be very grateful that they haven't taxed us completely out of uh, commission. Well, it's coming. It's coming because if we pay over one trillion pounds in climate reparations, Ugh. we're going to be, you know, the, t- the taxes continue up to the hill. And so it's important us plebeians know our place, isn't yes, it? Yes, it really is. And what have we ever done to um, deserve this wonderful treatment by our world leaders who seem to think that all the money we give them on an annual basis is theirs to do with what they will? Well, I think you're asking, I think in a way you're asking the question the wrong way around. Um, <laughs> what... It, it puts me in mind of what have the Romans ever done for us yes. in, in Monty Python. Right. At the moment, we've got this idea of climate reparations. And it's a bit like, well, what's the Industrial Revolution mm. ever done for us? Because this whole idea that we have to pay for loss and damage in other countries for for climate change, which is still not, in terms of hard evidence, completely linked to anthropogenic climate change. Yes. Um, the idea behind that is based upon the Industrial Revolution that we delivered the world. So, you know, what's the Industrial Revolution ever done for us? Well, what, apart from the steam engine, mm. the locomotive, the the um, the, the cotton gin, yes. the telegraph, incandescent, incandescent light bulbs, yes. um, street lights, the first modern factory powered by water to yes. boot, basically increased life Everything. expectancy, all modern conveniences mm. and warmer homes. Yeah. That's what the Industrial Revolution has ever done for us. Yes. So the idea that we have to pay for delivering that to the world is a complete moral mm. confection. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a completely contrived grievance. It's theatre. Yes. It's absolute theatre. Of course it theater. is. And I've even got a better argument than that, which is not to diminish yours, but I said this last night on the talk, that we're told that most of the emissions which have done all the damage to the world have happened in the last five to ten years. Now, as mm. far as I know, the emissions from this country have actually been reduced quite substantially by various government policies, right? 
So the idea that we're now going all the way back to the Industrial Revolution is a myth because apparently even back then when it seemed as though there was a lot more smoke coming out of a lot more chimneys, it's a lot worse now. And that's because of places like China and because of places like India, which have become mass industries, uh, mass, mass industrialized, and so are now creating all of the emissions which are doing all the damage. As, as we had yeah. that pointed out from Bill in London, we, um, we provide less than 1% of it. And the idea that we pay reparations to, say, Pakistan, which has a space programme, yeah. or, or China, I mean, the whole idea is completely ludicrous. And where, you know, how far back do you take it? Mm. The Industrial Revolution wouldn't have happened without roads or the right. written word. Well, I'm afraid the British Celts can't claim responsibility for those. That was the Romans. Yes. You know, should we, should we seek reparations from the Italians for invading us over mm. 2,000 years ago? What about ago? the Normans as well? I, well, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know what they brought apart they, from they, a lot of swords Well, they brought castles. a lot of swords and they brought quite a lot of culture, actually, and they did build an awful lot of churches. And so, actually, the architectural landscape of our nation was changed by I'm, the Norse. I'm not going to argue with seeking damages from the French, mm. I'm just, but I'm just pointing out Good how, luck with that. how silly all this is. You know, what are we going to do? Go back to the ancestors of the inventor of the wheel? Where, mm. does, where does it end? The it, whole thing yeah. is ridiculous. But, but, such, it's, but it's, isn't it not part of this kind of admission of guilt that it, they want us to exactly. have? Exactly. This cannot, this whole idea, cannot exist this this theatre this pantomime this moral confection can't exist with a, a level of moral anguish which is constantly whipped up in this country we're supposed to be ashamed and guilty about who yeah. we are now in terms of climate this is really long running and we've got no one to blame but ourselves mm. you know climate is woven throughout the school curriculum yeah. and young people are brought up with the idea that the world's going to end yeah. and it's our fault look at these these crazy people on the top of gantries yeah. on the M25. We- weeping and wailing. Although some of them, and I think particularly the one yesterday, Louise, I think her name is, was acting because she was not. there were no tears coming out of her eyes as she made out that she was crying. Well, she might be acting or she might believe it. Either way, it's quite dangerous. This is looking more and more like a cult. And cults are often around the per- you know, the, the personality yes. cult. You talked about Roger Hallam before. Yeah. His video, which we talked about months ago, mm. I think it's something like advice to young people facing annihilation or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is extreme. If a young person's worried about climate change, that is not the video to look at at all. But- How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This is all backed up in school. It's backed up on TV mm. ads. Um, so that woman who would have been on the top of the M25 gantry is 24. Um, she would have seen an ad that was produced by Labour when she was 10 right. called Act on CO2. Ooh. And... You know, that builds up this terrible fear in children about about the world yes. that faces them. 
But if we're going to call it a cult, you know, cults um, constantly make predictions that if you leave the cult, if you don't obey its precepts, mm. then disaster will befall you and the world. The problem the, the eco cult, this extreme cult, has now that over decades they've been making predictions that don't come true. No. But the worst part about this cult is that they have infiltrated government and they have actually, I will never forget when Michael Gove agreed to see some people from Extinction Rebellion after they'd been demonstrating for about three weeks in London. But the advert that you talk about, Act on CO2, is from 2009 and we have it. So let's have a look at it. There was once a land where the weather was very, very strange. There were awful heat waves in some parts and in others, terrible storms and floods. Scientists said it was being caused by too much CO2, which went up into the sky when the grown-ups used energy. They said the CO2 was getting dangerous. Its effects were happening faster than they had thought. Some places could even disappear under the sea, and it was the children of the land who'd have to live with the horrible consequences. The grown-ups realized they had to do something. They discovered that over 40% of the CO2 was coming from ordinary everyday things like keeping houses warm and driving cars, which meant if they made less CO2, maybe they could save the land for the children. Is there a happy ending? It's up to us how the story ends. See what you can do. Search online for Act on CO2. Right, you know, it's really time for the grown-ups. That's ridiculous, It's, isn't it's it? really time for the grown-ups to get back in the room. Mm. Because the thing is, collectively as a society, we've been doing this to children. Like I say, it's woven throughout the curriculum. I, my spine straightened when mm. I heard last year Nadim Zahawi say education is our best weapon in the fight against climate change. Mm. Education should never be a weapon. Yeah. This sounds straight out of the playbook of Chairman Mao. Yeah. So is it any wonder that young people are so frightened? And then you get Greta um, Greta Pigtails talking about how, how young people should manage their anxiety. Mm. There are actually grief networks set up for people with climate change yeah. anxiety. And what they've done is basically take over and bastardise the 12 Steps programme. Yeah. It looks like you're in something like AA, except what it does is encourage you to kind of languish in the mm. grief you feel make no mistake this is um this is a type of anguish mm. and grief and fear which is being deliberately cultivated yes. and weaponized by people behind these eco cults yeah. and is it interesting that the age of that girl in that video is around about 10 i would say mm. uh, possibly a little bit younger um around about the same age she would be now as this louise woman who's up at the gantry yeah, you know, so exactly. it's absolutely connected to what they were being told at that time. And I don't know whether you've seen the interview with Greta Thunberg and Amal Rajan, which was done on the BBC within the last month or so. And it's quite fascinating because, I mean, she's clearly a very troubled individual mm. and she was a very troubled child. And she says that she was very anxious. She spent, I think, two years being completely mute, didn't speak, you know, didn't know why she was anxious and then suddenly found a cause. And this is her words. She said she found this cause and it made the anxiety go away because she had a function. She worried that she didn't have any place in the world. She worried that she didn't have any importance in the world. Then she suddenly found climate change mm. and has now become the greatest disciple of it. And it helps her with her mental health. So we're effectively listening to a young woman, you know, a very intelligent woman. Um, no reason not to listen to her, but let's not, you know, deify her because she actually came to this place because she wasn't very well. 
but it, it's it's more than that because that anxiety has been deliberate, deliberately leveraged. Mm. You know, there are climate researchers here in the UK that conduct surveys to show how scared children are. They ask them the most terrible um, statements to agree with, such as the future of humanity is mm. doomed. Right. That, I mean, that leaves you nowhere. You're either going to agree or not agree. And if you weren't scared at the beginning of the mm. survey, you will be by the end. And then what these climate researchers do is say, wow, this percentage of young people are terrified and believe the government must act. And then they say to the government, you have a moral duty to act because you're causing moral injury in young people. Now moral injury, that's the term they use, that's mm. normally reserved for veterans right. who have seen or committed um, you know, acts of war, acts of war yeah. and it's affected them mm. morally. So what they're doing is deliberately cultivating and twisting mm. around moral anguish in order to force action by governments. And not only to force action by governments but to recruit young people into these mm. causes. It really is time for the adults to get back into the room and start being realistic yeah. with predictions, what we do and don't know, what's modelling mm. what isn't and encourage a feeling of safety in children, yes. not anxiety. Because, the, the and Julie Hartley-Brew was talking about this this morning, the kind of hysteria that we saw at the top of the gantry yesterday mm. is carried over into Sharm el-Sheikh, where you've got the head of the UN, Secretary General Guterres, saying yesterday we're on the highway to hell. Mm. Uh, in climate terms and that you know we're in the last chance saloon we were in it was one minute to midnight last year i don't know what it is now mm. but you say as as quite rightly that all of these predictions have never come true we saw one earlier today the un back in 1989 the, the the climate change panel that everybody always quotes from said that we'd be underwater in london by t the year 2000 well we're not are the, we this isn't a deliberate act of destruction of the mental health of the young people of this country it's beginning to look like a deliberate act of destruction of the economy because we won't be on a highway to hell. We'll be on a dirt track if we pay over a trillion pounds in reparation to other countries around the world. We will be on a dirt track. Um, we'll be lucky if we have carts and donkeys. The whole thing is insanity. Yeah. And really, the leaders in those rooms do need to remember they're also the grown-ups mm. in the room. The, the emotional language needs to be toned right down. No, I agree. Very sensible conversation this. Too sensible for some people, but not for all of the people that are used to it here at Talk TV. Because we do make absolute sense here, and this is the only place you hear it. Because everywhere else is infected by the kind of cult view of the world. But we don't have that view. Uh, you can have that view if you wish, though. Uh, you can call us 0344 499 1000. Uh, I'd like anybody, somebody, somewhere to actually convince me of what the facts are. Julia said this this morning. What we need is a conversation about what actually is happening and what could actually be done to stop it from happening. I don't think anybody's got the answer to that. Uh, more from Lord Dosworth and me, Mike Graham, coming next. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, let's talk about uh, something other than the climate nutters, uh, even though they're still out there uh, on the N25. We're going to talk to James Whale coming up a little bit later on in this hour because he just tweeted out that he was meant to be going for a cancer checkup today at a hospital in London where he goes. And he's he now not able to get there because of these people holding up all the traffic. Just mm. ridiculous. That is awful. And just one more thing to say on that then mm. before we, we, we get on to the next subject, which is that these people that are holding up the roads, they're so convinced that they're right, that they hold the moral mm. high ground, that they think that any any means justify yes. uh, sorry any ends justify yeah. the means and they really don't care about no. that kind of disruption not just to people's work but you know their lives yeah. people who are getting to hospital appointments it's disgraceful and, I, and what worries me actually is how much further it can go mm. you know will we see real eco-terrorism yeah. next because well, they I think wonder, it's justified yeah i wonder if it's not really at that level now because they talk a lot don't they these people about the suffragettes mm. and you wonder whether one of them will just be nutty enough to throw themselves under a lorry or something 
you know, because it could, I mean, that does not to me now sound so outlandish as it might have sounded a year ago. No, I, I, I do think it could get a lot worse. Uh, talking about dangers, I wanted to talk about knife crime mm. today. Um, you know, recorded knife crime is up 10%, um, record highs, it's, it's always a record high, yeah. it's always getting worse. I think only one in six um, crimes involving knives is solved in London. Mm. And I'm finding as a mother of teenage boys, it's hit my social circle yeah. directly now. Within one week, my sons and friends had faced four muggings and attempted muggings with knives in one week. Right. That's including my sons. That's and we're talking about a park in the daytime, mm. um, a high street in a suburb of Surrey in early evening, coming out of a party at night. It really can happen anywhere. Yeah. And I think it's quite it's becoming quite frightening for parents of teenage boys that not carrying knives is endemic. Mm. This isn't just a certain section of society now. I mean it's almost it's almost quite middle class. Yeah. It's endemic, they're all doing it because they think that's how they have to protect themselves. And it's not just inner cities, is it, anymore? Oh, no, no. I mean, on Halloween, there were gangs um, down in Surrey, where I live, that obviously come out of London because that's a night that they can, well, literally be in disguise like, yeah. and get out and do more crime. You know, there's been there's been quite a lot in the media recently about um, youth crime on Halloween mm. and uh, fireworks night. And, mm. and again, the proposition that fireworks shouldn't be for such. For sale. The the problem isn't the fireworks. The problem is the complete lack of neighbourhood policing. Yes. I would really like to see a lot more police on the streets. Mm. Our, our well, young Dundee, lads are not safe no, on the streets. I've been Dundee, and I didn't find this out until the following day, actually. But Halloween night in Dundee was an absolute horror show, apparently, because mm. the police were attacked. Um, people, the kids were jumping on top of police cars. You know, barricading streets with burning sort of you know yeah. wardrobes and things like that, chucking fireworks all over the place. I mean, it was a really mm. bad situation. The same thing happened in Stratford, out by Westfield there, with a lot of fireworks being thrown around. And I, mm. again, you have to say the kids don't feel any fear to 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 be arrested or to be cautioned or anything because most of the time they're not. I think that's part of it. And it becomes a bit like the purge. These nights become like the purge, mm. the night that they can get away with doing things. Um, now, while there should be more neighbourhood policing, it's not just about those nights. I think it's um, it's revealing of a, a wider social breakdown. We've got to remember that teenagers now weren't in school mm. for over half a year. Yeah. They didn't feel particularly welcome back when they're, they're educationally behind. They're in a recession. I think that they've been through a really, really tough couple of years. Yeah. There are no police on the streets. There is no sense of consequences. Um, just, say, taking fireworks off sale. It would be like a sticking mm. plaster yes. that wouldn't even come close to the causes. But like everything else, they'd probably find a way of getting them on the internet or something anyway, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um Something really, really serious has to be done mm. about knife crime. I wouldn't feel like my sons, who are big, strapping boys, goalkeepers, mm. boxers, should walk home from a party. I mean, actually, my youngest son managed to resist a mugging. That's not necessarily advisable mm. for everybody, but he did. Yeah. Because uh, he's he's quite tough. Yeah. But he shouldn't be in that situation. He shouldn't have He to. shouldn't be in and that And also, situation. nobody's so tough that you can't be stabbed. Either. Absolutely. We had lots of words about mm. that. We had lots of words. Mm. So, um, Sadiq Khan needs to get his priorities straight Well, in he's London. a bit busy at the moment, I'm sorry to tell you, because he's just written a new book called, yeah, Breathe. called Breathe. Yeah, which, of course, is about the climate, not about the knife crime. Maybe what? you should write a book about what? that. What? 
is it? Why is he writing a book about climate while he's mayor of London with all the problems we've got going on? I've got absolutely no respect for it at all. He should be far too busy being mayor of London to write a book about climate. He and really he, should. Why is he writing a and book why is about he promoting climate, it? Mr. Mr. Range Rover convoy? Well, he claims flying bizarrely, all over the place. I think I read this that he got some kind of late stage adult version of asthma as a result of the poor quality of air in London. It may well be true. I don't know. I've never heard of that before. I've never heard of somebody getting asthma in later life. I mean, don't think he spends his life sort of sucking on an exhaust pipe, does he? I the air in London's I, not that bad. I don't know, but I think he should have had much bigger priorities to deal with. Yes. And, you know, we can kind of segue, by the way, from Nikon and talk about the fact that, that Labour want to bring back ID cards. Oh, yeah. Now, in our area, we've got an awful lot of new barber shops. Have you got the same in your area? Yes. Many, many, Turkish many bar- barbers. I've been going on about this for ages, right? Because they started in London and yeah. now they're everywhere. And they are money laundering operations... Uh, for drug dealers, simple. Right. Which which brings me on to this idea of illegal, illegal immigrants. Yeah. So so Labour are saying that the way to tackle this is ID cards. I mean, basically, Tony Blair and Labour haven't stopped banging on about ID cards for every reason under the sun. Now, they say that ID cards will stop illegal immigration. They won't do anything for illegal immigration. You know, ID cards aren't going to protect the borders. or Because the, the problem is that people who do come in... Um, illegally who are going to go and work in crime mm. of course that's not all immigrants but you know it is true probably for a lot of the albanians yes they don't need id cards to work in in crime gangs at right. all it's it's a ridiculous well this idea. is the other thing about but, people who talk about you know oh but, but you just have to tell them to obey the law they're criminals they don't obey the law that's the whole point yeah and the people who are coming with um good intention seeking asylum they're not going to have a problem with an id card um application process are they let's no. be honest so when um, Tony Blair put forward for the the idea of um, ID for vaccination status, mm. remember he said it was the only way to get back to normal life. Yes. We would have been showing we, showing our ID cards to demonstrate our private medical knowledge. Then, you know, we need them for voting. Mm. Now we need it for illegal immigrants and it will only have basic mm. information that will be stored. Well, just just, you know, a year ago, that was your, your private medical information. Yeah. It's constantly a ruse. Mm. They're just constantly putting forward any problem they can and is for it the all ruse about sort of, of getting everybody yeah. ID'd. Is it basically about data mining, though? Is it about money as well? Because I know, for example, that there are plenty of government organisations, the DVLA being one of them, that will sell your information to anybody that wants it because they see that as a revenue source. ID cards seem to be one of the spines of Labour's policies and they will just reach for one problem after another to justify this this plan that they won't let go of. Anyway, if Tony Blair says we need ID cards, there's a really good chance we don't need them. That's a very good idea uh, to say that. What about Keir Starmer? Do you think he wants them so that he can identify what a woman is? Oh, well, this is an ID card that wouldn't be able to carry sex or gender. That's far too... That's far too nebulous. You can't pin down such matters. So if you ask for gender, you can go N-A. Interestingly, um, I only can tell you this because I'm I'm going to America at the end of the week. I had to fill out one of those forms to get the ESTA, you know, the the visa waiver thing. They only have two genders in America for that. I was quite surprised. I was expecting under Biden that they might have changed it to, you know, 100. But there's only two, they're only male or female. Well, you see, when it comes down to it, when it really comes down to it, they know what sex you are. Just just how um, male-born trans women can be called up into the, the army in the US. Mm. Um, it's funny that. It's Confusing. funny. It's funny how that works. Yeah. When it really comes down to it, we know what sex people are, don't we? Yeah, we do. I think so. Uh, Laura, we're out of time. Um, oh, shame. Wonderful to see you, as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we will see you soon. I won't see you next Tuesday, though, um, because I won't be here. However, oh. uh, Kevin O'Sullivan will.
Brilliant. Um, so Have a nice time. He won't be as nice as me, but, you know, he's all right. He's, he's getting better. We're grooming him. Um, this is Talk TV. We'll have some more after this. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up, we're going to be speaking to Ross Clark, columnist, of course, uh, of many parts. Uh, the Daily Mail the other day, uh, he was asking if Ed Miliband uh, was the man who'd done the most damage to the British economy. I think he's probably right about that. Nobody, including the news, is mentioning that there is a judge's crown court injunction brought by the highways agencies preventing anyone from interfering with the M25. Anyone who does gets brought before a judge and can be sent to prison for two years, says Martin. Yes, that is correct. I did actually mention that uh, on a show I was doing on the talk last night that there is a current injunction in place so anyone who is up one of those gantries will be sent to jail there will be no uh, passing go no collecting of 200 pounds you just go straight to jail i'm afraid um and another one from martin saying why aren't you mentioning it well we mentioned it yesterday actually um and you're right to say there is one but it doesn't stop these people because they don't care because they're in a cult and they're getting paid so if they go to prison it's no skin off their nose at all before we talk to Ross Clark, though, about a great many things, including Miliband uh, and much else besides, let's talk about Lord Lucan, right? Because a great friend of mine, Andy Lyons, chief reporter for the Daily Mirror, has done a great story uh, in the Mirror. However, there is something slightly amiss about it. They basically have said that they've found and discovered where Lord Lucan ended up. Now, you might not remember Lord Lucan, but it was one of those massive stories uh, where he was a very, very um, aristocratic fellow. Um, who committed a murder and disappeared. And people for years and years and years tried to find him in different parts of the world. He disappeared 48 years ago today, on November the 8th, 1974, right? The day after the murder of his nanny, Sandra Rivett, in the family home in Belgravia. It was a massive story at the time, and it's been a massive story on and off ever since, right? The Mirror splashed this story yesterday, put it on page one. Here's what they've got today. It says, Lucan brother, he did escape and become a Buddhist. Now, that was their main line this morning. The great thing is, is they've also got a picture of the guy, right? Who they think is him. So we can now reveal Lord Lucan as he looks today. Here it is. If you're not watching this, you won't be able to see what I'm seeing. But if you are watching it, you will see a pixelated picture of a Brit in Australia. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. You know, great story and all that. But if you can't show the face, what's the point? That could be me. It could be you. It could be anybody. Anyway, I just thought I'd give them a little tap up there. They need all the help they can get over the mirror. Uh, let's talk to Ross Clark, uh, who is, of course, a man uh, who has written columns for many different organs, the Daily Mail, the Spectator, the Telegraph. Uh, Ross, a very, very good morning to you. How are you doing? Good morning. Fine, Mike. Uh, great piece about Miliband, I thought, yesterday. Um, has anyone caused as much damage to the British economy? I mean, he just keeps popping up, doesn't he? I watched him being interviewed on Sunday uh, by Laura Kunzberg, and he was very careful not to use the phrase uh, reparations, but we all knew what he was talking about. Um he just doesn't seem to get much right, does he? This is the same guy who told us that we should be driving diesel cars when he was environment minister because uh, it would be better for the environment. Yeah. Well, Ed Miliband, of course, is the, is the the was the former climate energy secretary who was responsible for the Climate Change Act 2008, which right. um, uh, committed Britain to originally to the target of reducing carbon emissions by 80% on 1990 levels by 2050. Mm. And I mean, the thing is, at the time that was passed, I mean, 
Ed Miliband, neither Ed Miliband nor anybody else knew, had the faintest idea of how we were going to achieve net zero or 80% reduction um, in carbon emissions. It was then sort of uprated to net zero commitment in 2019. Yeah. I mean, still nobody has any idea of how we, we're actually going to get there. I mean, this, it requires um, large numbers of new technologies which either haven't been invented at all or which require to be perfected or made commercial. And, um, you know, we're, we're sort of heading to this sort of abyss. Um, really, the economy is sort of heading to this abyss in 27 years' time. Mm. Um, we have no idea we're going to get there. Other countries, far bigger emitters, China, America, and so on, have made no legally binding commitment to achieve net zero. Um, but, you know, we're going to sort of ruin our own economy. Yeah. It's, well, it's, uh, sort of, it's sort of, a, it's, it's kind of the inevitable act of self-harm, isn't it? That everything that has led us to this point has now suddenly got a reason that we're just actually trying to kibosh our own country uh, for some reason or other. I don't understand why they're doing it. You know, first they tried to give all the money away uh, to people who didn't want to go to work during COVID. Now uh, they're saying that they're going to give loads of money away to people who can't afford to heat their homes or indeed buy uh, any petrol. Uh, they're suddenly now hand handing out more money, I think, this week to people who can't afford the cost of living. And now they want to hand even more money to countries around the world who haven't even asked for it. Well, exactly. Um, <laughs> the thing is, that this whole idea of reparations, I mean, it's quite it's absurd. Really. I mean, what developing countries need is the right to continue to be allowed to develop, um, to, you know, develop their economies, just as we did over the past 200 years. And um, the trouble is, we're trying to take that away from them by saying, oh, well, you've got to stop burning any fossil fuels, you've got to um, and we're telling them they've got to sort of decarbonize even more quickly than we can decarbonize. We're trying to tell them that they've got to leapfrog straight to clean energy without sort of ever going through a fossil fuel burning stage. Um, so, but the time we're you know sort of telling them we're well, not allowed to develop like we did, but you know here's a few billion in reparation payments mm. instead. And I mean, it's completely absurd. It's bad for developing countries, and it's obviously bad for us as well because some, um, you know, it's billions more out of the public purse, and there'll be no end to it. And I mean, government ministers. I mean, it's not just Ed Miliband, but it's the the present government is too, too are sort of bringing this sort of reparation demands on them, on us by um, you know, being hysterical, mm. making hysterical and lazy link between any kind of adverse weather and man-made right. climate change. And well, this is it. And also, all, I mean, we've just talked to Laura Dosworth there about the various different predictions that have been coming our way since the 1980s, all of which have been completely wrong uh, and none of which have actually come true. Well, exactly. My favourite was in 2004, the Pentagon published a report predicting that Britain would have a Siberian climate by 2020. <laughs> and well, it didn't quite happen, did it? And now we're doing, oh, no, it's too mild. But, um, yeah. I mean, but you know, when you when you look at you know every time the climate change comes up, isn't it? We get sort of ministers and BBC and others will sort of show a try and sort of link it to uh, you know climate climate change link climate change to cyclones and floods and winds and uh, you know I mean often the the evidence linking 
um, these events to man-made climate mm. change is often very, very tenuous. I mean, I accept that warming temperatures bring more heat waves and so on. Yeah. But when it comes, but it's to become a bit like, like COVID, the whole conversation, hasn't it? Because when you say, for example, what you've just said, look, you know, it's perfectly possible that the climate is changing. It is indeed possibly even uh, possible to prove that the climate is changing. In some parts of the world, it might be getting warmer. In other parts, it might be getting cooler. I mean, you know, Boris Johnson said yesterday uh, that he was worried because he'd gone swimming and the pit of the coral reef was missing. Now, Given, given the fact that Boris Johnson talks a lot of cobblers most of the time, that may or may not be true. But what we can also say is that the Great Barrier Reef in Australia uh, is regenerating itself. And so what we can definitely say is that we don't know for sure if any of it is down to us. And yet, if you say that, you get called a climate denier. Well, exactly. And uh, I mean, you know, just to take one example, the Pakistan floods in, in the summer, which, um, you know, all ministers have been sort of, you know, casually linking to to climate change i mean what what what's in what's going on in, in that part of the world is actually quite interesting mm. the whole manner of different climate changes and um, changes in the climate um the monsoon rains are getting heavier in some places and they're also more sort of extending more westwards over pakistan um but you know in, interesting the ipcc didn't um you know it said that you can't sort of just link this um it's got low confidence in linking this to um warming temperatures man-made carbon emissions because you know it's also a function of other things mm. like changes in irrigation practice and that, then there was a attribution study past, published last month which um looked at linking um the, the link between pakistan floods and climate change and, and basically the, the the scientists doing it sort of gave up they said you know we, we can't quantify you know what role climate change has had in this because mm. they they used all these sort of models and some of the models suggested that climate change would bring heavier rains in pakistan some of the models predicted that Pakistan, that, that climate change would bring lower rainfall, lower extreme yeah. rainfall in Pakistan. So, I mean, basically, they, they gave up and said, we can't quantify this risk. They said there probably is something there, but, um, you know, but, you know, if you then translate that, well, you're just encouraging um, Pakistan to, um, you know, make reparation yeah. claim well of course they're going to ask for money if they can get money free money i mean if somebody said to me if you ask for this money uh, that somebody will give it to you of course you're going to ask for it uh, but ross listen we've got to run thank you very much ross clark columnist at the mail the spectator and the telegraph they're talking about uh, the con uh, which is being currently worked on in uh, sharm el sheikh where the british government may in fact decide to hand over a lot of money to a lot of countries because apparently we should be feeling guilty about causing their climate damage because of the industrial revolution Give me a small break. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, brain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Plenty going on in this final hour of the show. We've got lots to do. We just heard from James Whale, uh, who, thanks to those Just Stop Oil maniacs, is not able to go and get his eyes seen to this morning uh, and this afternoon uh, at hospital. James is suffering from cancer, uh, goes on a regular basis to hospital, can't get there today because the M25 is an absolute parking lot. So congratulations, Just Stop Oil. You've managed to to make it impossible for James Well to get treatment for his cancer. Well done. How proud you must be. We're going to talk about striking nurses over the course of this week as well, because we mentioned it yesterday. Uh, We had um, a very impassioned email yesterday from Tony in Barrow in Furness, who said basically uh, that he's waiting for a transplant. He's also suffering from cancer. He's not sure whether the transplant is going to go ahead uh, if it happens to coincide with one of the strike days that the nurses are going to do. And he's asking with the best will in the world in a very uh, pleasant way, Is his transplant going to be postponed? Is the transplant never going to happen now as a result of a strike in the NHS? These are genuine concerns from genuine people. They're not political. They're not politicians. Uh, They just want to know how their world is going to change if people go on strike. One of the things that has, of course, changed over the course of the last few years has been the drug business in this country. And one of the reasons why the drug business has changed so much has been the influx of a lot of Albanian gangs. Now, we know from what we've been hearing over the course of the last few uh, days and weeks that there's an awful lot of uh, young Albanian men now making the illegal crossing from France to the south coast of Britain. Uh, When they get here, they sometimes claim that they've been trafficked. They sometimes have been trafficked because they're working uh, for some criminal drug gangs. Let's talk to Wensley Clarkson, who's a true crime writer. Um, He's written loads and loads of books about the drug business, particularly uh, over in Dartford, which is a part of Kent where the Dartford Crossing is. Um, We've seen some incredible pictures of late as well of a whole series of Albanian gang members driving around in very expensive cars, Rolls Royces, Mercedes G-Class cars, some of them uh, carrying machine guns, some of them um, making rap videos. I mean, it's an incredible sort of um, underworld that very few people... What you can see now is a group of them uh, who operate in Barking in East London. Uh, and they're basically, they've got tanks, they've got jeeps, they've got um, incredibly expensive cars that they're driving around. And this is a, a rap video that you're watching. Um, it's quite extraordinary stuff. Let's talk to Wensley and find out uh, what's really going on. Wensley, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. You and I have spoken about the the Dartford crossing kind of uh, wars that were going on before when you wrote a book about that. This this Albanian crime wave is really quite something, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, I don't think it's a crime wave. It hasn't suddenly happened, that's for sure. Um, And I think in fairness, I'm going to say this now, in fairness to the majority of Albanians, they are not criminals and they are not drug dealers. Uh, and this is a very small amount of our, uh, of that country's uh, citizens who are t- who are turning to crime. However, it is a big problem. They are incredibly well organised. Um, you know, you can be certain that when uh, a number of Albanian younger younger Albanian men come over on illegal crossings, that probably represents a tiny percentage of the ones who are operating as criminals in this country and throughout Europe, they look on, one has to look at this slightly differently though, Mike, they look on this as a business. Yeah. This is not them turning up in Britain to try and claim the doll or sneakily going around, breaking into people's houses. Drugs is a business to them mm. and they treat it as such. They're incredibly professional. I think one of the biggest frustrations is they're so good at organizing these 
uh, drug cartels that they really they would be better served working in legitimate. Yeah. Uh, well, I've often yeah. doing a lot better than some of us. Yeah, I mean, I've I've often said that you know if they could turn their business now into a you know a sort of a, a proper business which wasn't illegal, they would be remarkably good at that as well. But but what I keep hearing about is how. The, not just the cocaine business now that they're running, but they're also now the sort of the lead cannabis growers in this country as well, which used to be apparently the Vietnamese. So how did they how did they kind of get the Vietnamese out of the way and take that over? Uh, pure sheer numbers. There are a lot more Albanians in the UK than there are Vietnamese. And what the what the Albanians often do, and they did it with the Colombians more than twenty years ago mm. in London when the Colombians were making inroads into Britain as a huge cocaine market, um, they started gradually to allow the Albanians who appeared then to distribute their drugs. Surprise, surprise, the Albanians then ended up taking over those drug routes and even doing deals with the terrified Colombians to supply the Colombian cocaine in the UK. Mm. So it's the same with the cannabis. You know, the Vietnamese were the ones growing it in, in tiny little um, houses where every room was packed with, with weed, plants, etc., etc., uh, And the Albanians have gone from distributing to taking over. They're very, very good at that. And they're going to continue to be that way unless another uh, country produces the sort of criminals they have. Because mm. I can't see any other end to it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we hear, because there's been obviously a big focus on Albania itself over the course of the last couple of weeks, is that and many people are leaving the country because of sort of criminal feuds that go on um, and entire yeah. towns and villages have been sort of halved in population size because they've all come here and as you say they can't all be involved in in crime but there is just this kind of sense that that the cocaine business is now rooted through albania i was reading a story the other day about a, a shipment of cocaine which turned up there um and was from there distributed throughout the entire um, continent of europe absolutely um and I feel for the law-abiding Albanian citizens, both the ones who come here and the ones who live in Albania. You're absolutely right about villages are emptying because of these feuds. People are terrified. They also want work, and that's a very important aspect. And actually, if you look around the countryside of Britain, the countryside of a lot of countries, they're all empty. Mm. All these country communities are empty for ironically similar reasons. People have to go to the cities for work. Mm. However, in terms of the Albanians, I have no idea what the answer is. I do feel uncomfortable just targeting them, actually, mm. because I feel that there are many other countries providing people to work in either criminal activities or uh, shadow economies. Yes. And, oh, I, I don't think there's... there's... You know, I, I was going to say, I don't think there's any question that the, the, the people who are probably in need of the most targeting are the actual traffickers themselves, the people who are bringing all of these people across, because if they're not being paid by them, I believe them to be sort of enslaving them and saying, right, well, we'll bring you to Britain. Um, you won't pay us the 5000 up front, but you will then work for us when you get there. And that could be in any number of different nefarious Absolutely. kind of industries, right? It's a classic criminal mentality. You are owed you owe the criminal something right. in that case it's it's the cost of a crossing this is why the albanians having talked to you about colombians 20 years ago um, the vietnamese recently of course they're doing the same with the crossings mm. industry if you want to call it that yeah um, i think it is an industry yeah i do because if you think about it financially it makes much more sense for these albanians to make those people that go in the boats owe them 
then to take their fees. Yes. Because they can add to their criminal empires in this country and elsewhere if the situation is similar. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, that is why, again, um, any kind of sort of what you might call legal way of trying to stop it isn't working because it's not a legal business and people who tend to be involved in illegal businesses tend not to obey the law and so when you say well if you land here and you're illegal you'll have to go back they'll go yeah right whatever and they'll just keep walking i think that's about our naivety yeah uh, to a certain degree there's a great degree of political naivety yeah it's all black and white. There's no grey in the middle. And the grey is what we're talking about. Mm. And the grey is the area where clever people, ranging from Albanian criminals to Vladimir Putin, can basically uh, take advantage of our naivety. And mm. I'm afraid it's a, it's a huge generalisation, but I feel that's part of the problem. Yeah, no, I think absolutely right. But it is a very efficient way to get to Britain. I mean, if you were coming from any part, other part of, uh, of Europe and you wanted to try and get here you know that this is a tried and tested method and you also know that if you do get here there's a very good chance that you'll never leave and you can just stay for the rest of time and there's a really horrible aspect to this which of course is that those crossings that include albanian uh, criminals who are being or people just law-abiding people who are forced to becoming criminals in order to pay for their crossings i hate to say this i feel almost good but that means their boats will probably be safer yeah because these are investments. Absolutely. Now, again, I'm not legitimizing anything. I'm just trying to give people an idea of how many different elements are at play here. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. And until I think the government understands that it's a business and until the part of our political life and political sort of community stops referring to many of these people as, you know, tired, desperate, you know, in need of our assistance types, um, you know, it's never going to change. They need to start approaching it as if it is a business, as if it is doing something which is illegal and that is basically, you know, filling this uh, filling boats up with people who will come here and take part in criminal activity. Yeah, because, and again, I'm going to take everyone through a very brief history lesson, go back to um, the turn of the last century, and the Italians were doing the same thing in America. You know, it's not a sort of uh, an amazing revelation to know that immigrants uh, go into crime, as we all have our own criminals here as well. But, and I've no idea what the answers are, uh, but I have to say that at the moment it's not working. I don't think branding them anything helps either. Mm. I've got to be honest with you. I, ju I just think, you know, they're individuals, they're out to earn a living, right? That, at the end of the day, is what their primary aim is. Mm. Most of the people coming here don't come here not to work. No. They come here to work. Uh, you and the audience can sort out the irony of that. When you when you consider that our country is at the moment lacking a workforce, yes, I know it's it is, it's remarkable. I mean, your uh, latest book, The Serial Killers of Mexico. I'm going to give you a little chance to plug that. Um, Thank you so because, much. Because because um, one of the things that the Americans tried to do in Colombia was to dissuade uh, the coca growers from growing coca so that cocaine wouldn't be manufactured. And they said, "Can you not just grow coffee?" And they went, "Well, we could, but we don't make as much money." So they yes. they didn't stop. Yes, and and then they and then they couldn't understand why Mexico became the transit point for all this cocaine, and actually ended up making more money than the Colombians. Yeah, you know, again we're going off piste, so to speak, a bit here, but ultimately there are similarities, um, and what one should never forget, and in a way I admire the Albanian guile and the fact that they are such hard workers, and I think we shouldn't underestimate them. No, um, and I think that's another thing that. 
some politicians do, they also look at it as if it's some sort of attack in a xenophobic way or whatever. It's nothing to do with that. No. This is just pure uh, common sense in one, in one way, and basically the facts and figures are there, and we have to work out a different way to deal with it. I don't want some sort of kick uh some sort of kickback where we're all just reacting angrily we can't do it like that no. we've got to actually work it out properly get in some business people i'm not joking right. and work out how the hell you're going to stop it and turn it to our advantage yes or maybe get a better gang somehow um <laughs> we shall see wednesday good to talk to you thank you very much indeed wednesday's latest book serial killers of mexico go and find it uh you write some brilliant stuff uh it's always very readable very high paced and it's all real it's all true it's all actually going on uh in this country and around the world it's extraordinary stuff talk radio across the uk online on dab and on your smart speaker the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A, Malibu.com, code GLOW.